time to Sports Plus with Baker Big D and Joe. And uh, we are the only sports show on uh, this radio station. And, um, and, you know, occasionally we do talk sports. It's been a tough year. But uh, so anyway, let's introduce everybody. Uh, so this is Sports Plus show. I'm Big D. Uh, Matt also is out here in snowy, rainy Western Mass. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. Yeah, I, I kind of woke up and, and I actually didn't didn't re see this in the forecast, so I kind of woke up and was like, Ugh. kind of a yucky <laughs> Saturday morning, but. But the next three days are yeah. rainy, including today in the 40s. The snow's going to go away, and I miss it. I like the snow. But then, of course, Joe out there on the uh, anarchist part of the country. <laughs> hey, um, we're not we're not anarchists anymore. Did you see the announcement? I know. From the president? Are you disappointed? I, you know, it uh, hasn't really affected so much my day to day <laughs> well, life. I gotta say, but I, mean, I didn't even realize what happened, Joe. So what was it? So our previous uh, president? Yeah, I guess probably about a year ago. It was last summer during the uh, you know disturbances. He named. Yeah. Seattle was it Seattle, LA, and Portland, or Seattle, New York, and Portland? I think Probably, named us yeah. anarchist jurisdictions. And uh, but the, what does that mean? I mean, he, did, he there was something official. I think his his goal was to was to be be um, justified in sending in federal agencies. So I think that's that's why the the. But I think it was mostly for you know. Yeah. Can I ask, let me ask a question about that because Joe, you sent that and it through it was it's been a crazy week, but I did I, I I read a little bit about it and I so I didn't realize that he that Trump had had actually done that. But then I read more that it, it was basically uh like a threat to cut some federal aid and some funding to those areas, right? Yeah, and, the, and you know, yeah. there's there were all sorts of things that could have been attached to it, but I think because it was a, it wasn't an actual, it's not an actual thing. This yeah. isn't an actual yeah, governmental procedure. What, so, what did Biden do if it's not an actual thing? Did he just, he just said he, he just. I think he just erased whatever Trump's executive order was. He just, you know, so which, that's you what know, I was getting at. So he actually did do an executive order. Yeah, do you remember the the Peanuts cartoon where uh, Charlie Brown tells Linus, or Linus tells Charlie Brown, I can't remember, that he's going to have to go through six years of school just to unlearn everything that Lucy taught him? Like that's, a, I feel like we're going to go through a year of Biden and Harris undoing a lot of things that that Trump did. That's so typical, though, of any new administration, right? I mean, well, that's, uh, we, well, we saw we saw I, I Trump try to erase Obama for the first six yeah, months of wait, his term. Yeah, wait, but wait a minute, Matt. You just said in one sentence you had the words "typical" and "Trump." They do not go together. <laughs> they no, do fair. not. They should never be in the same sentence. There was I'm sorry. There, there was nothing typical nothing. or or nothing nothing of, of his four years but yeah i mean i i saw that and i mean i took that as good I, there's i mean and joe you kind of live in that area i mean it, it's things are calmer and i, I mean I, things were things weren't really that bad to begin with but yeah there things are, well, no, are definitely much i mean it no, was it, no. it was it was extraordinary it was overblown it was overblown but but there, Matt, you're right, Matt. There, it was significant. Like there was, it was, there was, it was, you know, problematic, troublesome. There are lots of words you can use. It was, it was not a thing to be blown off or ignored. It certainly wasn't as bad as it was being represented mm -hmm. throughout the country. Uh, oh, I, I agree. Yes, I, I, yeah, I agree. But yeah, I mean, so I, I think that it's, it's a good thing all around. It, it, people are <laughs> calmer, Darryl, not as tense. Daryl, you gonna finish introducing me yet? Oh, so uh, so from the uh, left coast, uh, uh, Seattle. I see Seattle, uh, San Francisco. Where are you now? I know you're heading to Mexico, well, but you're, I, in, you're still in Portland, right? I can't afford San Francisco anymore, and Seattle's a little bit too gray and rainy. So yeah, Portland for now. I may try to move out to towards the coast, you know, in the spring. Towards, are you talking about our coast? No, no, no. Towards the coast here. I'm a good hour and 45 minutes from the ocean. I wouldn't mind being like, if I moved to the other side of the Portland metro area, I'd be 40 minutes from the, from the ocean. If I moved out to Beaverton or, or Hillsborough yeah. out there. Um, I did some taxes um, for a couple friends of friends who work for Nike. 
And after seeing how much Nike pays their people, I may go try and get a job at Nike. They yeah. are, I mean, yeah. this, the, just the, those are salaries you don't see anywhere. And no. uh, I could and abandon some principles and go work for Nike. <laughs> and certainly um, school teachers like Matt and I don't see um, those kind of salaries. So one no. thing I just wanted to say before we get going this week, um, we had a, a great show last week, a really interesting that conversation. Was that was and I just want to mention some resources for people who are looking for ways to support these causes or just to get more information, uh, which again, you know, Yumi and Aida both said it's tough being the, the source of all the information for your friends. So instead of asking right. your friends, go to uh, PFLAG is a great resource. GLAD, of course, G-L-A-A-D. Um, and the Trevor Project and the Safe Zone are two organizations that really, really do fantastic things for for kids who are who need the support that you need when you're when you're an adolescent, when you're trying to to find your identities of all sorts. And you know they they do fantastic work. So look into those resources if you're interested, folks. Good. Now the, uh, you know, Matt and I are doing remote teaching mostly. I, I guess you're doing a little less remote, Matt. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in school four days a week. I'm, I'm not doing any remote really. Oh, okay. But so there's been issues with the remote and sort of with the kind of uh, middle school age kids being really depressed because they're just not getting what they need. Um, so, you know, it is, uh, it is an issue right now. You mean socially or educationally? Socially, uh, educationally, we're, what we're doing remote, I mean, I work really, really hard at it. It wears me out. But I think, so what I'm trying to do, there's like, you can only do a fraction of what you could do in the room. Sure. And so I try to do it really well. You know, I try to do it deeply. And, um, but also give them some social, we have buddy talk where they get with another kid and talk to each other. Um, and, you know, and we, uh, throw snowballs at the screen and, you know, we do lots of, you know, we, we, so the attitude I've been able to keep them really good, but, um, it looks right now like we, we in, in Belchertown, and probably actually in, in all of Massachusetts, we'll be back to school five days a week sometime in April. Yeah, Matt and I were talking about this a bit beforehand, and I my my feeling was I, I don't think you can ask the teachers to do this without being vaccinated, but if you are, it should be optional. So the kids who are vulnerable for whatever reason don't have the, the proper, you know, internet connection, don't have enough computers, don't have a peaceful household, they can come in and get in-person learning. And right. then they're, they're the ones that are hurting the right. ones that have attention problems and that don't have parents that are sitting next to them, keep guiding them, keeping them, you know, uh, paying attention. So what percentage of your classes, both of you are, are in that group are, are students who have difficulty, some sort of difficulty with the online so, well, Matt has a bunch of classes. That might be harder for him to say. But for me, I have 23, 24 kids, depending on the week. And, um, you know, a good percentage of them are low readers. And a good percentage of them have, you know, they, they are only seven years old. Right. You know, to have yeah. them to sit at a desk. And, 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 and the state is demanding 17 and a half hours full contact with the whole class online online wow for a week. What, so when you say a good percentage you're talking about six or 15 uh yeah yeah so it's like 15 like the majority of no no more like oh. six they're oh, okay. really really hurt in the sense that they're just falling through the cracks and there's not much i can do about it from a distance, but, you but could, in a you school, could, it'll be a lot better. But you could teach, if you were teaching to six in-person students and a camera, you could do that much more safely than if you had 24 students in that classroom. It yeah. would, would be so, my point. You know, we're going to see what happens. I've actually had some really good news. I have a vaccine scheduled a week from Tuesday. Awesome. Congratulations. I mean, how, how about you? What's the, what's the breakdown of how, how, what percentage of your class is, is struggling in that way? So it's hard. 
teaching phys ed um and i because i'm teaching i've been pretty much teaching in person all year with the exception of a few you know we we were sent to full remote uh for a few weeks here and there and, and stuff like that um so i don't know i mean nobody's struggling remotely in phys ed what's your class size in phys ed my well so we're because we're hybrid class sizes we broke each homeroom into two cohorts so the most i see in person is 14 that's good um like that and that's actually that's a cohort b class and then their cohort a has like five kids in it (laughs) so um most of my classes range from in kindergarten class sizes are down to 14 and like in the whole class and then uh the upper grades uh 23 is my highest so i mean i I do think kids need to be in school I, i mentioned this before and i think part of the issue is we're seeing the scientific process play out in front of us and that's a tough Mm -hmm. pill to swallow just a year ago literally a year ago like we're all still trying to process what happened march of 2020 and in uh, tomorrow it's march 2021 you know what i mean we're still so last year we were told you've got to be home you don't teachers were not even allowed in the building to teach remotely from your classroom because we didn't know you know are you if you touch something you might spread it that way like right we didn't know now at the beginning of the year we're given these options and and we're told six feet apart and, and put these parameters in place and and follow science and you're in the red at least i'm speaking for massachusetts right um you know you're in the red if you reach these sort of metrics and then the whole state reaches these metrics and they move the goalpost, you know? Yeah. And so you're, you we're seeing the scientific process play out in front of us. And that's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people because, Hey, a few months ago, you told me it wasn't safe to go into my building. And now you're telling me we're going 100% all in, in a month. Like that doesn't make logical sense. Um, and so I think that's, there's there's always been a breakdown in communication uh there at least as how i feel there's sort of a breakdown in what do you trust and you know so i'm i'm hoping i'm disappointed with how the state is rolling out their vaccines you know like daryl somebody in your like you should have been vaccinated already already and the thing is, it's been a disaster. So it's, it's um, you know, the mass, mass.gov's vaccine site is just unreachable. And I have, my kids are going crazy for me and I'm on it. And I have, you know, I haven't connected at all, at yeah. all. I'm um, not even trying because to me, it's not worth the frustration. No, it's not. It's not worth it's it. It's not worth the Man. frustration. So I'm kind of waiting. I mean, at, at one point there was talks about my districts. Um, where, where I teach, they were going to be getting uh, a certain amount of vaccines and, and they were already from our local, like our town, we were all, they were already scheduling teachers and it was going to be Wednesday because that's our, in our hybrid schedule, that's a half day of teaching. It was going to be Wednesday afternoons. They were going to be rolling teachers in and out of all the different buildings. And then a week or two ago, I guess the governor decided that no towns are going to be given an allotment of vaccine. And it's right. He's going, going be... for mass vaccination sites. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so now our, our town is like, well, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so it's, it's been tough, you know, and I mean, Baker, a Republican, he's done a really a good job overall. Um, but, and, and this is, you know, the, the, when you're talking about the science, The thing that people have trouble uh, grasping with science and like with this COVID vaccine is that just because you say something one week, you get new information. And so that changes in the next week. And that's sort of what's happened. And people say, well, you said, yeah, well, it doesn't matter what we said. We didn't know what, you know, what we know now. And Matt, like you said, we're kind of watching the science get figured out in real time. But in real time, that, yeah. If if that had all been happening under 
competent leadership from day one, things would look a lot different than they do right now. Another thing Matt and I were talking about before he came on, Daryl, is what a mess the situation is, the vaccination effort is in Oregon too. And there are, there are states where I've got friends who are in, in my category who are under the age threshold, but have a pre-existing condition. Like my sister in New York, she got her first shot. My friends in Texas who are in this condition in Colorado, they've got their first shots. I'm who knows months, two months away. Yeah. yeah. But, but maybe, we should mean, have a, maybe we should have like a, have an educator's show in a week or two because i'd love to hear about how how these things are playing out in different parts of the country because i'm you know sort of detached from that out here but Mm -hmm. you get a get an oregon teacher and a couple new jersey ones yeah Yeah. (laughs) so you guys don't want to talk shop daryl daryl wants to talk sports yeah, well, it's. I keep looking at the title of the show, Sports Plus. <laughs> Maybe we should um, change it to Plus Sports. Okay. <laughs> I mean, what, what, do, where do you start in sports right now? Well, I actually, um, I want to go back a few weeks ago, um, and I know last week's show. I know we we had our guests on, and, and that was a great show. And so I didn't want to totally divert. But Joe, if if you remember, we were talking about um, JJ Watt and Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. And, and you asked a great question and it made me think and reflect. And I, I've been kind of doing that for a while. And so I, commissioner Baker is back. I have ideas to fix, to fix the NFL. Okay. And, uh, but so we were talking about the situation in, in Houston uh, with the Texans, right. And how um, Deshaun Watson, he wants out and JJ uh, Watt, he asked for his release and he got it. And, and, I don't exactly remember how you phrased your question, Joe, but it, it was a fair one. And it was like, you know, are we looking at this two different ways? I am very openly, you know, I, I don't like, <clears throat> excuse me, how there are NBA players and NFL tr- players like, you know, throwing their, trying to throw their weight around to, to go to the team that they want. Um, and it, unfortunately for me, what I, what I, came to the realization for me it is all about the public perception right how it's gone about but i have gained sympathy maybe is the wrong word um but you know putting myself in the shoes of players i i get it and i'm a little bit more um, empathetic towards the player's position of I want to win because unfortunately not every owner wants to, not every owner cares about that. Or, or is capable of, of making the moves it takes to do that. Right. Right. Yeah. And so what I was, then it got me thinking into, uh, you know, deeper thinking of, all right, well, you know, what there doesn't seem to be, ownership accountability and what i mean by that right is you know in there's like a hallelujah choir singing in the in my head right now well i i i still i don't i i still would like to see the athletes you know not look to jump ship when things get tough. I still, I still like, you know, I'm going to work harder. I, I, I don't know. I, I still like that mindset, but you know, if, if you make a product, uh, your Oldsmobile, right? The cars, Old, Oldsmobile, they were making junk cars. They went out of business. They, there's no more Oldsmobile, but cars are still a thing, right? In sports. There's no more Ramblers. We used to have Ramblers when I was a kid. Right. But like, <laughs> Uh, the Knicks are run the Knicks horribly. Are the Knicks are a disaster of an organization. But, but yet, this year, are they doing better? They're doing a little better. Yeah, but they're hovering no, around 500, yeah. You know, like, we would never say, all right, the Knicks are done. They're still the NBA, but the Knicks, you're gone. You're, you're, you're an awful organization. And so, like, how would we get to a point where if, as an owner – if you are not invest, if it, it can't, I mean, 
look, it's, it is a business and you, so you have some owners that just are saying, look, it doesn't matter if I go in the NFL, if I go 0 and 16, right. The Patriots, the chiefs, the, the bucks, the teams that are really good, they're going to help me out anyway. I'm still making money. So what, what's the big deal? And, and if you're an owner and you have that mindset, why would, or why should players want to play for you? Just like anything else, if your product isn't good, we stop buying it. Why, why should fans want to root for your team? And that's, you know, that's the other part, you know, I'm at the risk of pissing people off, fans are suckers and stay with long oh, yeah. after the, Boy, the team. I love the Celtics. I love the Celtics. I love the Celtics. Right. No, know, matter, no matter how it bad they play. Right. Or, or what the management does. And I, you know, I stuck with the Knicks for 35 years until, and I still, it's funny. I, I swore them off at the beginning of the season, but the couple of times I've been on TV, I've watched them and I've rooted for them. And it was weird when they played the Blazers, I found myself rooting for the Blazers, which was not kind of how I thought that would go, but it, it's, these loyalties are, are, are weird. They're really weird. So yeah. Matt, what's, what's the, what's the solution? Well, no, yeah. but, uh, well, wait a minute. Commissioner Baker, first off, this is, you got billionaire owners. You can't tell them nothing. You can. Well, you James Dolan, their... James Dolan, the owner of the Knicks, is the worst owner in the world. The worst. All right. And you, yet, what can you do about it? Nothing. The, the the easy solution would be like the European soccer leagues and just do relegation, kick them down yeah. to the D League. You know, Put kick those down. those last those last two teams, the last team in the East and West, kick them down to the D League until they win a championship oh. or win a division. Uh, I don't know. Now think about it for a minute. Just like let's just go back to times when arenas are full. You're going to kick. Uh, who would be the closest? Let's just pick the Knicks since we're picking on them. Um, the New York Knicks, Madison Square Garden. You're going to have them playing in the minor leagues. But then you bring they, up you bring up another team to play in New York. The city doesn't lose their team. It's the owner that loses their spot in the league. So the, the team would be displaced, but would be replaced by the Eastern Conference D-League champ from the year before. Interesting. And and chances are the team's going to be just as good as the crappy Knicks team, you know, that's <laughs> that they put out on the floor for the last 10 years. But we, Matt brought all this up and we're not letting him give his solution. So. No, 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 but, but that's it. Like it, it there has to, like it, in reality, Daryl, you're right. Nothing can happen. Like, no, I don't think anything will change, but I, I was thinking of all these like fun, creative ways. And that was one of them, Joe, like create like a subdivision of every major sport and, if you are, you know, um, found to be three years in a row or whatever below a threshold, that's where you go. Or, you know, do teams, you know, revenue sharing and, and things like that. If you're not putting your product on the field, are teams, do they become more publicly owned kind of like a, like a Packers type thing where if I, um, as a, uh, out in, in Portland, if the Portland Trailblazers aren't up to the community's standards, right? There's a vote of no confidence in the ownership and ownership has to go. Or do players, is there some sort of player um, uh, survey or, or something like that? But there needs to be some heat in the chairs of some of these owners because you have but where's that going to come from who's who can do it you and i can't bother them commissioner baker <laughs> well, okay so well, congress so, maybe okay so let's do some of the commissioners like the basketball has always had good commissioners um but football i don't know i didn't i never liked roselle um i think R roselle was was pretty good at his job though he he really he really did a lot for the like. You look at where did, the league yeah. was when he when he left as compared to where it was when he started. And so I think okay. so. You who's have to commissioner get, now? Goodell. Yeah, who's oh, the, God, the, 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 ro worthless. the robot man? Who's yeah. again? So who, what, no, so Matt, he's what got no he person. He's got no personality, but it, look what he's done for the league. I mean, the NFL is really thriving despite yeah. a lot of, you know, and he's they survived a COVID year. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's whacked a lot of knees, I think, to get where he, he is. Goodell and, is really reactionary in a lot of the social um, goings on in the league. He's very reactionary. And I think he rightfully so gets a lot of criticism for that. Um, 
But when it comes to the business side of the league, like you said, Joe, I mean, they, they play how many games overseas a year now? They're out in Europe. They play in Mexico City. Uh, the TV deals, NFL Red Zone, the NFL Network, all, you know, Goodell has done a, a decent job. You know, that I, Nickelodeon was, thing was great this year. What? <laughs> yeah, but that was the Nickelodeon. I don't, thing I don't think that I don't, I don't think that was his idea. I think Nickelodeon went right, to him. And but it was, but it was an awesome, awesome, awesome but, idea. But, yeah, great idea. Baseball but, should do that. Yeah, oh, yeah baseball yeah. should do that. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is I think the structure there's a minor league in place for everything except football because football uses college as its minor league. So I think the NFL would be the only one where you couldn't have true relegation, but you could do something. You could dock draft picks for teams that don't or, or take away their revenue sharing if they don't meet a certain threshold, but then I mean, what's the threshold? Is it going to be wins? I mean, I, cause you can have yeah. a ter- like the jets won what four games last year. And they were terrible. I yeah. mean, no, and the, that, and that's a fair point too. I mean, to me, it comes, it, it's competency. Like, are you as a competent owner or, you know, and I think the only way to really get the owners to change is the money. Um, because that's what you have. Some owners who are driven by money. If, if you take that idea away, um, you know, they're, they're going to be more likely to do everything they can to put a competitive product on the field or on the ice. Again, I think this is all sports. Um, you know, so that that's, I just, I, I am taking a little bit of a step back on my, I, I like the think, evolution. I like the evolution. I, Every I, once in a while. You shouldn't have told me that you shouldn't, you shouldn't have told me that my hammering had anything to do with it because now I'm going to wield my hammers in all sorts of inappropriate places. But, uh, but <laughs> I mean, no, I, the, it, it's funny too. Cause you know, we mentioned the, the players getting, getting more say in things and, you know, and, and getting rid of bad owners. And it's just what happened uh, with the Atlanta dream. Our, our favorite Kelly Loeffler finally is out. The team is officially. Now, how, so I, I'm, I'm not up on this story. So how did they get rid of her? They sold it. They made her sell the team and there wasn't any official. She was a minority owner too. But the, the entire ownership has been ter- turned over, including part of it to Renee, Renee Montgomery, who was one of the players who took off last year to work for Black Lives Matter causes and then retired you know, at the end of the offseason. So she's part of the ownership group and is going to be running the team, basically. So they put together this this ownership group and you know she's got money in it, but she's going to be the executive head of the team. And I mean, this is this is exactly what we should be seeing is these players who played, she played 11 years in the league. She's got two WNBA rings, a a NCAA championship at Connecticut. These are the types of players that we should be ushering into management roles when their careers are over. And I think we'll see LeBron James own a team, I think, and run a team when he retires. What about uh, Michael Jordan? Things haven't worked out too well for him. Yeah. I mean, uh, Michael Jordan's success as a player came from a lot of things that don't translate as a leader. He, He, we saw this with his team, with his teammates all the time where he would get frustrated because they weren't up to his standards, you know? So I think, the, 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 being a good player doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a, a great owner or executive. I think there have been plenty of, of great players who have been great owners, executives, coaches, you know, there's, 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 there's a, a list of them a mile long in every major sport. I think the, the, this, I, I'm especially enthusiastic about this because she, Renee Montgomery has won everywhere she's been. And I think this is rewarding someone who has done everything the right way, her entire career, her entire professional life. And I want to see more of this. I want to see Russell Wilson own a team. I want to see LeBron James own a team. I want to see all these players get rewarded. So maybe one of the solutions, Matt, is to give control of the team to the players I'm not there yet because because I, I you know it, it's it's trick like I still think you know the the player's role is to play 
The GM's, the coach's role is to coach. The GM's role is to manage and put it together. The owner's team is to own, but I, but I am understanding and, and sympathetic, empathetic of uh, a player like a Deshaun Watson, who now he realizes he's a top five quarterback in the NFL. It's not going to last forever. And his talents are being wasted because GMs and owners are trading away DeAndre Hopkins for nothing. They're getting rid of offensive linemen for nothing. Yeah, they, they are dismantling that team they, too. They just they traded one of the running backs. Of a yeah. team. And, and so I, I'm understanding of that. You know, I, I'm still, I'm not all for the play. I don't, you know, because a player, it'd be like me as a teacher going into my principal's office and, and Daryl, you, you know this, you know, how yeah. often, you know, a, a principal makes a decision and like, what was he thinking? He should have done that. And then, you know, me mar- marching into the principal's office saying, nope, do it, do it my way, you know? Well, but- I mean, let's, 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 I'm, again, like it's a little bit of a false equivalency there because we're not saying that these aren't, I think, we have a tendency to look at these things as minor slights that, that tick these players off, but these are, I mean, you're talking about a career where your entire life is dominated by your job, your, what you eat, what you, the hours you keep, how you handle your family matters. It's all centered around this job. And so it has a very short lifespan. Right. So I think, I think the slack we should give these guys should be much greater than what we give ourselves, ordinary people. But even you as a teacher, you have more, we're not talking about, again, these are major issues surrounding your livelihood, your compensation, how successful you can be at your job. And if those are things that you really felt threatened, were threatened in your current job, you would absolutely go find another district to teach in. And you have that opportunity. And those those opportunities are out there. So I think the same should apply to these players. If they have an opportunity to go somewhere else and they feel like it's better for them professionally, psychologically, you know, again, for their families, for their, for their bank okay. account, but, they should be able to leave for any of those Joe, reasons. But, just like, just like you or I could do the same. But Joe. So Matt has always made the point. So I want to hear what you guys have to say about this now is you sign a contract you're supposed to live up to that contract. Yeah, but the the contracts, you know, other than the, the NBA where most of them are guaranteed, the NFL contracts, don't, you know, you see this all the time where you've got a five-year contract, but the team's still going to cut you after a year if your your number's too big. So and is, I, I think about that been true in uh, football scholarships in college? You blow your knee out, you lose your scholarship? It, most schools now, I think, have understood that that's a really bad PR move and the excess of scholarships is there. So I think, I don't think we see so much of that anymore, but yeah, it used to happen. I think it could. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do. It, it, unfortunately, and I'm speaking just for me here, there's a lot of how you go about it and how it's portrayed in the media um, that sort of pushes me to one side or another. Um, I, it's a, to me, it's not a good look when Jalen Ramsey three games, you know, what was it two years ago, I think, or maybe even last year, uh, two, you know, two, three games into the season, you know, he knew the Jag, the Jaguars are an organization that is no good. Um, and they start and three and he's like, I want out, trade me to a contender. Um, that's different than Deshaun Watson seeing how his team is trading away their best players for nothing, uh, you know, going through a joke of a coaching hiring process that he was promised to be more a part of. Um, and so he wants it. So I have more of an understanding of why, and, and more agreeance in how Deshaun Watson is handling it than how Jalen Ramsey went about it. You know, 
Deshaun Watson was told he was going to be part of the process. He want, they wanted his input. And then they didn't let the guy have any input. I would be upset about that too. And so Joe, like you are right. I, I would be upset about that too. I wouldn't want to, if my principal told me, Matt, you're going to have, uh, you'll have some say in what your class sizes look like. Right. And then I'm never asked. And now I have a class of 30 or, or I, you know, 60 kids, two classes in the gym, which isn't unheard of. That would bother me. Um, and I'm, I'm in total agreement about the middle of the season stuff. I'm willing yeah, to forgive yep. anything that happens in the off season. That's, that's the time to reshuffle everything. And again, you know, I think we ask more from the players than we do from the owners because I mean, how right. many times have we seen owners be quote disloyal by trading away a player, you know, out from under himself, you know, and you know, Daryl, you saw this a lot more in the sixties, I'm sure right. than we do now. Well, in this, you know, in the '60s and in the '50s, you know, basically a, a player went in. You know, Ted Williams is a famous example. I mean, it, you know, his salary was I think twenty thousand, which when he played in the '40s was probably a lot. You know, a, a very significant amount of money. But basically, he went in, and they said, "This is what, this is your contract for this year," and they they had no choice. Ted Williams just signed it. He never thought about striking or, you know, not, not playing. Um, and that's so, so they had no say whatsoever. So it's a, it's an interesting time. It really is. It's, um, you know, uh, and it's, it's good that we're all sort of evolving our views too. Um, so like this, this children's book, Stuart Little, it becomes a um, substitute teacher. And uh, he sets up this uh, thing. Let's, I'm, I'm going to be king of the world and uh, I need to come up with some rules. And so I'm fine with you being commissioner, Mr. Baker. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I love it. And you come up with the rules. It'll, it works for me. <laughs> as long as I can uh, dictate what my salary and what my uh, <laughs> percentage of the take home is. I'm good he's, he's already corrupt. He's been in his fake job <laughs> yeah, for 20 minutes. Corrupt. I needed, uh, I needed five seconds of the job. That's power all. corrupts. Absolutely. Is that what it is? I, that think, what it is? I think this means he's better suited for the IOC or FIFA or uh, <laughs> boxing, maybe one of the boxing commissions. Oh uh, yeah. 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 Is boxing um, going, yeah. Boxing's still going on and, and the MMA is that stuff still going on? Yeah. And that's a, like, I mean, I watched a lot of boxing. I mean, when I was young, Ali was still fighting, but you know, and the boxing had a pretty, you know, and then through obviously through the Tyson era, you know, heavyweight boxing was was big Huge. through a lot Huge. of my life. But I mean, yeah. I I just can't, I just can't. Right, you know, name name a champion in any division. Well, I just you know? it's just one of the things I can't conscience watching watching anymore, especially with my own problems well, with head injuries I, I from guess football. I, you know, I, I have just a few stories that I seem to tell them over and over again. So one is when I was a kid. Um, so when I was a kid and we're talking in the fifties, the, um, there, there was only two sports, baseball and boxing, honestly, NFL did not exist. Hockey was, you know, okay, but nobody, nobody really went, nobody went to watch the Celtics, even though they were winning championships. Um, but, uh, uh, so I'm watching this fight. So I, you know, I got to watch a lot of TV because my parents just didn't pay any attention to me. So I'm watching this fight. Emil um, Griffith versus Benny Kidd Perrette. And this is a very famous fight because uh, Perrette died. Um, oh, wow. You know, the, the um, he got hooked up on the ropes and uh, uh, other fighter hit him like 25 times in a row. Oh, wow. And the... Um, the ref didn't stop it, and and the um, guy fell to the to the uh, canvas, and you just had this awful feeling like it was over. And you know, it were was. you watching this on TV or live? I was watching this on TV live. Wow! Oh wow! As a, as a as a like a ten year old kid. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was right. <laughs> I had never seen anybody die in person. You know, I knew people died, but I had never seen it. Yeah, it's funny. I've seen dead bodies. I don't think I've watched someone actually die. Right. Huh. And yeah, so 
Yeah, so I had sort of, uh, after that, I didn't feel the same about boxing anymore. Understandable. You know, yeah. On a lighter note. <laughs> on a lighter note. <laughs> did you guys hear, I wanted to, to chat about this. It's it's kind of a funny, not all funny story. Uh, the Cam Newton situation. Did you guys hear about no, that? What's, no, what's happening? So I was hoping you guys heard about it so you could help fill in the blanks a little bit here. I'll do my best to tell the, the story. Cam Newton... Uh, was volunteering um, at a seven-on-seven, like, passing league, flag football kind of camp thing, um, and was getting heckled and insulted by the Oh, I did see player, this, yeah. Right? Yeah, I saw and this. And he's yelling at him, you're poor, you're about to be a free agent, you're poor, you're done, and, and really trash-talking him. And Cam Newton was kind of like, I'm rich. I'm, you know, he was, he was going back a little yeah. bit and he was asking, you know, where's your dad? Let me talk to your dad. Where's your dad? You know, who are you with? And, and it, it, it made a lot of waves in, in the talk, the sports talk shows this week. And, and a lot of it were, you know, the kids these days kind of thing. Um, but I just thought it was an, an interesting story. And, and I agree, you know, like where, and Cam Newton has come out and, and, um, accepted the kid's apology and said, you know, I hope we can learn from this. And, you know, I hope those of you who follow this story understand there's nothing personal, but, you know, if you aspire to be a football player, respect the people who are professional football players and respect the, the sacrifices that they are making to help you get better. I mean, Cam Newton is volunteering his time. So Cam, Cam handled it pretty well. Cam handled it great. I thought he handled it as Good. perfect as well as you possibly could have yeah. could handle a situation like that, both before yeah. and after. And I think the kid give the kid credit because the kid was being an ass during the, the. If you watch this exchange, the kid's being a jerk, and he's Cameron is is handling like I said perfectly well. But the kid even to give the kid some credit, the kid came out and apologized afterwards and yeah. and it seemed like a sincere apology and it seems like the kid learned something from from being a jerk which is what you have to do when you're was it 14 15 years old you know I, yeah he might have been like 16 he was a high school he's a high school football player and you know yeah i i agree i think he was the kid was running his mouth and cam newton was i i looked it up in in, in cam newton's uh response he's in i was asking to to talk to his dad to, to talk to him about respect. And right. I didn't really want to have a conversation with the kid. I wanted to have a right, conversation right. with dad. And the um, kid was, was acting like a 10 year old too. It wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just antagonistic. It was really immature and persistent. Mm -hmm. It was yeah. like, you know, like when your kids repeat everything you say and won't stop doing that, it was almost to that level of, and the kid was just looking for attention because the cameras were on. So yeah. I, I sort of, I, I also appreciate the way the coverage of the story has, you know, there, uh, there's every opportunity to turn this into a trashing Cam Newton for not, you know, being, not letting the kid trample all over him because he was a kid. So I think there's also a difference between when you have a 15 or 16 year old acting like a 10 year old and when it's an actual 10 year old. And it was right. kind you of know, hard. The, the whole thing about sports that's so important is that, you know, many, many, many young boys and girls as they're growing up play sports and they're coached by volunteers. And, you know, those volunteer coaches, you know, we talk about um, bad owners. There, there's certainly some bad volunteer coaches who don't teach respect. And, you know, I, so, I mean, it's really, uh, you would like to, I, I think your, your idea of respect is a key issue there. Yeah. You know, so it just, there, I think there are a lot of layers to that, to, you know, we can talk about that for a while, but um, you know, it, it was good. I, I, I find a lot of things that surround Cam Newton. I, I got to give him respect because he tends to, have these um, controversial things around him, he is able to rise above it and kind of continue to move forward. Um, well, you, you know what's interesting too is I see a comparison between what happened to Cam Newton and also what appears to be happening to Jason Tatum, which is after you get COVID, 
even though you recover your performance. So before Cam got COVID, he was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. he didn't quite score the winning touchdown. He tr- he was tackled on the one, which you know, but but he was spectacular. Yeah. And afterwards, he was not spectacular. Well, and, and Tatum, I- as you know, was uh, got. Uh, COVID. And since then, his shooting percentage is incredibly low. So he's not, he's, you know, it's, I wonder what the long-term effects are. Well, and I can tell you firsthand, I mean, I had it in March and April of last year, and it was two months ago, a month ago, before I started to feel even kind of remotely back to normal. Like I was, for six months, I was non-functional. Like just Six couldn't, just couldn't drag myself across the room. And you know, did you I, have temperatures? That, I, and in the in the six weeks where I was sick, it would creep up a little bit at night, like yep. eight nine o'clock at night. It would go up a degree or so. But I, you know, and did I, you I, uh, monitor your oxygen? What were your oxygen levels? Yeah, I mean, they would go down. It would go down to ninety four, ninety three sometimes. But yeah. usually, you usually mine are ninety nine point something. Even now they're 97, 98 regularly. It's, and I'm, you know, I'm not in the shape of Cam Newton or Jason Tatum or any of these, you know, professional athletes who've gotten COVID, but, you know, this just shows what it can do to the body. And if, like you said, Daryl, if it's been lingering for, in, I'm not the only one who will tell you that it stayed with them for months and months after yeah. they, quote, got rid of it. Um, and I, this is not, I can't imagine being a professional athlete having to go out and compete. Like I, I feel like I've aged 10 years in the last year for just from having it. Wow. I have a coworker who um, had COVID got COVID two and a half weeks before our February vacation. So let's, let's say, look at my calendar, like the first week of February. Right. Uh, and still, um, can't hasn't been able to come to work. Um, wow. Can't you know just too lethargic, too tired. So too a month. Brain. It's been a month so, so far. So that yep. COVID fog um, is, I think that's kind of how they're terming it. Um, it, it. It it from things I've read and heard and, and seen, it is a real thing. Now, Cam, I don't know what else he would say. He says he didn't feel of that. I don't know what else you would say. Like you're not going to admit, especially you're on a one year contract. You're not going to admit oh, yeah, I am in a COVID fog. Um, so he kind of said the right things, but his play would sort of his play would indicate otherwise. I mean, yeah. He was bouncing balls into his yeah. receivers, yeah. And, and you know. Yeah. Well, Dara, as, as a chronic condition guy yourself, you can I'm sure attest to this that you don't notice when you have these things. You don't notice when you don't when you because you get diminished a little bit a day and you don't see it. You have to almost have to have other people pointed out to you. And I think for him, right. It's just, he's, he's felt this way and he's, you know, his, he's telling his body to to do things and his body is seemingly responding like it did before, but it just isn't putting out that same performance. But do you, do you experience that Daryl too, where you don't so much notice deteriorations in your own conditions because yeah, it happens but, you know, so it's, gradually. Uh, it's exasperated by um i'm a uh, hypochondriac <laughs> so, so everything that happens you know when i have to breathe hard i'm, I'm you know uh, my friend said she had panic attacks and as soon as she said that Every night when I lie down in bed, I start, I'm, I'm breathing, I'm, I'm panicking, you know, it's yeah. uh yeah. So, but yeah, now listen to, to change the subject slightly to sports um, is so college basketball is a mess. You know, UMass men haven't played in like three, four weeks. Um uh, and I think they actually have a really good team this year, but they've also had people injured and missing. But so now college basketball is now beginning to advertise March Madness. Yeah. So what's going to happen? Are they going to? I don't know. Are you uh, making a bracket this year? I oh. am, but I guess. But uh, like, it's cra- It's sort of crazy because oh. you, for for one thing, you have some teams that will probably play like twelve games. I mean, it's games if they're lucky. It's going to be an interesting scramble the next 
three weeks when the conference seasons wind down and the conference tournaments get played. But I think they're doing the smart thing by playing both tournaments in one location. The women are going to San Antonio. The men are going to Indianapolis and they're apparently they're going to keep it at 64, 68 teams. They're not, they're not thinking about expanding things. So I think, you know, it's going to get done like the NFL season. They're going to, they're going to push it through. They're going to make this happen. I'm actually, it's funny because I'm usually Mr. Cynical. I can't watch this for, for philosophical reasons guy, but I'm, this is right about when I really start to usually pay attention to college uh, I, basketball. I love college basketball. Yeah. And so I'm, you know, I'm, my, I'm my uh, alma mater Duke really looks like it's not going to make it this year. Struggling. It yeah. Is, it yeah. is putting on a late surge. So we'll but, see. But my alma mater, Texas looks really good. They look really they do, good. They and this is, are, are they this ranked? They're 14th. Yeah. And this is a year where I think, I mean, you can make a case for 35 teams having a chance to win the championship this year because the sample right. size, like you said, the, the season was so In erratic injuries, COVID and the, and the seedings are going to be screwed up. There's going to be sleeper teams that are just getting, getting hot this time of year. And I, there's also, I think the unpredictable, un unpredictable nature of having 18 and 19 year olds compete for something, you know, is going to be multiplied exponentially this year with all the, the yeah. added uncertainty. Now, and I'll admit, I haven't paid much attention to college basketball like you, Joe. Now is about the time where I start um, really, you know, reading a little bit more about teams. I wouldn't be surprised if there becomes a trend, a, a regional trend of teams like, like you said, Daryl, UMass hasn't played in how long? Three, They're four not, weeks. You know, it doesn't well, matter how good the the team you are. If your team has been up and down, practicing, not practicing, when it comes it's to been two practices, time, I think you're just not going to have the chemistry needed. So, you know, I'm I'm curious to see if there's a trend of teams who maybe didn't have the most talent on their roster, but had the most consistent regular season with sure. practice yeah. and games not that much much disruption how far they go um i'm kind of interested to see how that plays out well it'll be interesting to see how how that factors into the seeding too if yeah, a team that yeah. that that did that but maybe isn't as talented or even doesn't have the record of you know one of these higher profile programs yeah but it, it yeah. is good that they're doing it all in one location which brings me i know we've got like four minutes left the nba all-star game Oh God, is that horrible? <laughs> that is horrible. Like to me, you're taking players from every single city, yeah. Yeah. bringing them to one spot for a worthless exhibition that the NBA players have already said they don't want to play. And then you send them back to, I just, Risk reward, right? We, and we we were talking about this at the beginning with college football. Like, you know, you've got to do that risk. What'd you call it there? Risk assessment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or whatever. Risk, right. Whatever. Yeah. If but um, one, if, if if there is an outbreak or if somebody within the All Star game has COVID, you now run the risk of literally bringing right. it back to Infecting every single the NBA team. Not that I'm not you know, saying that will happen. Why didn't they just name an an all star team? You got that honor. You, you know, a lot of people have it on their contracts that they get more money if they are an all star. Just pick the all stars and give and give the players five days off, all of them, because they all need it. Well, the the short answer is money. The the longer answer is for some reason the players' association agreed on this when they right. set up the parameters for the season. Right. And I'm sure if they could look back, and again, we've done everything assuming that things are going to be better in a few months. So I think in in the fall when these decisions were being made, they didn't think we were still going to be right. in this dire of a situation at the beginning of March. So I think you know a little bit of lack of foresight, a little bit of greed, you know, there's, there's some of both of it because the league and certainly the couldn't have said ability of sorry. what's happening. The unpredictability. The unpredictability. Right. Like right now. So le levels have been going down dramatically, hospitalization, 
you know, uh, all that stuff, but it's, they're going down. But if you look at what they are, they are, they're going down to a level that is higher than it was last summer. And they're going down because we're taking these measures. And this has happened now six right. times in the last and year. Where this could change. This things could get, change. Things get better. We Everybody relaxes. Then they get worse again. Right. And that's why we're right. still doing this a year later. And if we would just stay home for eight more weeks. And that's, you know, again, something that Matt and I were talking about earlier about schools. Like, you've gone the entire school year to this point. Have it to where the kids who are struggling to learn remotely can come into a classroom. But make it so when you ha- you're in front of that class, you have the six vulnerable kids and a camera and the rest of your class. And then the kids who are, you, so maybe you will teach online for three or four hours a day. And then you give the kids that are there in person another yeah, two hours. I know, but, but you know what? That's two jobs. That's two jobs. Being a remote teacher is a full-time job. Being an in-school teacher is a full-time job. You can't yeah. really combine them. It's not like you can do them both at the same time. So that's kind of the reality of it. But, you know, so here we are. Things are improving. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and, you know, uh, I think it's know, somebody's base, baseball like, spring training. <laughs> What'd you say, Matt? I said, I think it's somebody's brake lights. I don't think it's the end of the tunnel. <laughs> You know, I, yeah, I, I don't know. That's a good, that's a good title for you, Joe. Break lights. Somebody's break lights. <laughs> break lights at the end of the tunnel. Well, at least, at least one of us is getting vaccinated. We got, we got yeah. that for us. Very excited about it. So um, uh, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, so again, thanks very much for listening to Sports Plus with Baker, Big D, and Joe, and we will see you next week. Thanks, Have everybody. A great week. Download the podcast, rate us, review us, like us, love us. You guys see the uh, the NFL, the minority rate doubled from last year? The minority higher rate? Uh, for what uh, positions? Coach, uh, yeah, all, they only had two minority head coaches, so it wasn't really head coaches. but Right, but, but you know what? Office. That also, that's in the George Bush um, thing about how Texas is – education uh, was rising at a faster rate than any other state in the country. And that was because they were 49th. (laughs) Right. Well, and also like, you know, it's great that a couple of GMs and coaches are getting hired, but I'm as concerned about the, you know, the, administrative staff, like the, the other hundred, the hundreds of people that make up a professional organization, how many of them, you know, from, from the bottom up to, you know, up to those executive levels are, are minorities. And I think, you know, I, I, I'd be curious to try and find some of these numbers. Yeah. I mean, I don't know exactly what their positions are. The, the, the short little article on ESPN that I read said that they were, you know, coaching staff front office positions, but I actually, that's where I think, it, it should, it has to start. Like you have to get more of the minority hires into the buildings. And, and um, so I, is it where it should be? Could be no, but you know, more than doubled since last year, I think is a good, is a good sign. Well, I, I think you have to credit the um, two teams that made the Super Bowl. I mean, five of the head coaches and the two coordinators on both teams, five of the six were, we're black men. And I think that, and that we've seen that, you know, like Jackie Robinson couldn't break in until he was, I mean, he was so talented. You couldn't keep him out. And I think these guys are so successful that you can't keep them out. And I think even so, you know, Eric B still doesn't have a job. So let's have a head coaching job is, and is for three years, we've been talking about this guy as one of the brightest coaching minds in football. And he, you know, and, and part of it is because of their success. They, he can't be interviewed till so late in the process, but if a team really believed in him, they would hold out until the Super Bowl. To, well, to make right. I have no, Eric B is an interesting situation, I think, because right. He did get interviews with all seven, um, he didn't get hired, and in the Super Bowl, he didn't look that good. And so I wonder if is is the 
um, superhero status of a Mahomes where the enemy gets some of the credit for, for coaching him. Does that hurt him also? Do play, do front offices look at it and say, is it you or is it the Mahomes factor? You know, I don't, I don't know, but I mean, he had interviews with teams. He didn't get hired. And then in the Super Bowl, he got out coached. Yeah, but he it, not last year. He was he won them the game. So I think, you know, he, he had he had, everyone has an off day. So I think you know to put too much into this latest loss, especially when they lost to the greatest of all time, the most lordly <laughs> man ever to wield a football. Um, he did anyway. But I you know I think it, it just it seems to be a an outlier that he hasn't gotten a chance considering his success and you know i this latest stumble aside i think you're right i mean when we've had this debate about about brady and belichick about who you know where does where does the credit go and i think the answer is that it's a it's a web of all of them and you can't it's so hard and again We've talked about and this. You know, before. that was the point you were always making about Brady and there's 63 players and all that. And you're absolutely right. You know, it, that it's a, uh, it's everybody, especially in football. And I mean, especially in in football, like Tampa Bay really did things right. They went out, they got receivers, they got, you know, they got line, you know, they were they're <laughs> They're going to look really good next year. Yeah. And you know, that was adding Brady was one, one of a series of moves that they made over a course of three, four years that got them to where they, they were. Right. And now, and now you know, we see two teams have that success and then they crumble for a million different reasons. And that's where the Patriots were so extraordinary, extraordinary that they were able to continue to revolve and recycle. And we don't see, you know, Dallas with, with being uh, owned by, excuse me, a uh, coach by Scrooge. Look, look at Gronk. He retired. He retired because he couldn't stand Belichick. You know, <laughs> as soon as, he, as soon as Brady moved to Tampa Bay, he's ready to play and And he made some big plays in the Super Bowl. Well, it's funny. They're almost opposite approaches to what, you know, to, to what New England and Tampa do. New England is the quintessential, we'll get rid of you a year too early rather than right. a year too late, where Tampa took on a few guys that, you know, Fournette might have been finished. Mike Evans was probably passed his Fournette peak. got cut during the year, right? The team that whatever team had him. Year before, yeah, them. yeah. So, you know, I think they've they've done great. Gronk, they pulled, pulled Gronk in out of retirement. I think they've done a great job with reclamations, reconditionings. I don't know what you want to call <laughs> Daryl, what was the name? Of, I'm looking up. What was the name of that boxing? Uh, the box uh, Benny Kid Perret versus Emil Griffith, and I think Benny Kid. I'm not sure which guy died. I think it was Perret, <coughs> but I might have got that wrong. Yeah, I mean there were. I mean, you know the the 70s and 80s, like Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns and Sugar Ray Leonard. I mean there were some amazing fighters at all levels and then Hager you know, was great to watch and Sugar yeah. Ray Leonard was great to watch but after Tyson after and that, you know Lennox well, Lewis Tyson was a horrible human being that was I think made it so so hard he but just his just what he did to the sport like he was it was so after seeing such such competitive fights for the heavyweight title for my entire life, all of a sudden, here came this guy who was destroying people. I don't, Matt, you're too young to remember Tyson's prime, right? He was, uh, no, I, I remember it. I, I was he knocked people out and I really followed. Oh, well, yeah, like 30. He had the string of like, I don't know how many consecutive first round knockouts and it was end fights in, in seconds. Second. And it, yeah, and it was that was unseen before, but. After he left, there was that little, you know, you know, the the Lennox Lewis was was prominent for a little while, but you know, since then it's the, I'm not I, you get me excited about the Klitschko brothers. I don't I don't the Russians Ali Klitschko yeah. was that it? There were two of them. Yeah, there were, I think they were both champions for a little while, but and again, you know, it's one of those things that's just hard to hard to watch. Is it on TV or is it only just like pay 
TV. I think the big really? fights are only on pay per view. That's the other reason too. If you want to watch a quote big fight now, you have to pay dollars yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Benny Perret and uh, Emil Griffith, and uh, Benny Perret was the one who died. Oh, I mean, honest to God, it was twenty-five punches. He was like up against the rope, and the other guy just punched him over and over and over and the ref didn't stop it it was unbelievably horrible oh, all right well guys i gotta go put some uh, laundry away before jill gets home okay all right thanks guys see, see you guys ya. have a good week see you next week